Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
Hey folks, today is Friday, December 6, 2019. I'm broadcasting live from Nashville, Tennessee, where tomorrow I will be giving the commencement speech of the fall class at Tennessee State University. On today's show, the House passed uh, a bill, folks, uh, that will restore the uh, section of the Voting Rights Act that was gutted by the Supreme Court in the Shelby v. Holden decision. We'll talk to Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence of Michigan about today's important bill. In Virginia, there are a number of racist laws that remain on the books. Activists are trying to get rid of them, and Governor Ralph Northam says he is going to support that. As a new black census report that looks at gender and politics in 2019, we'll break it down. Also, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg uh, lies about never being asked about stop and frisk. Really? Oh, we've got the receipts. Also, the New York Police Department has its first black chief of detectives, plus the cheerleader who was punished for taking a knee during a football game just got paid. And of course, folks, I'm going to break down my deconstruction of former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, who was also the former governor of South Carolina, who made some absolutely ridiculous comments today about the Confederate flag. Oh, I'm definitely going to bring the funk. And yes, another crazy-ass white person just won't let a black man do his job. We'll show it to you. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Elections do have consequences, and after Republicans did nothing to restore the Voting Rights Act after it was gutted in the Shelby v. Holder decision by the U.S. Supreme Court in 2013, the Democratic-led House passed a bill today that will restore that provision of the Voting Rights Act that would require certain jurisdictions to obtain preclearance from the federal government before implementing any changes to voting practices. The bill passed 228 to 187 and was spearheaded by Congresswoman Terry Sewell of Alabama. Here's what took place in the House today. Today is incredibly personal and special to me and my district. Alabama's 7th Congressional District that includes the cities of Birmingham, Montgomery, and my hometown of Selma, Alabama. You see, voting is very personal for me, not only because I represent America's Civil Rights District, but because it was on the streets of my hometown that foot soldiers like our incredible colleague John Lewis shed their blood on the Edmund Pettus Bridge so that all Americans, regardless of race, could vote. Today, the House will finally pass H.R. 4, the Voting Rights Advancement Act, to protect their legacy and restore the full protections of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. I've introduced this bill for the past three Congresses, and I know you have on the Senate side too, Senator Leahy. But it really has been a group effort. 
For the past six years, I've been honored to have the support and input from so many wonderful stakeholders. The Leadership Council, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the Lawyers Committee, AFL-CIO, the Brennan Center for Justice, Maldoff, and Naleo, just to name a few. Without this and these wonderful supporters, this bill would not be here today. The Supreme Court, yes. The Supreme Court's Shelby versus Holder decision gave states with a proven history of voter discrimination free reign to re-engage in su suppressive voting processes. My state of Alabama, home to Shelby County, has implemented a more restrictive voter ID law and has the audacity to close nearly a dozen polling stations as well as DMVs since that decision. Alabama isn't alone. More than two dozen states have enacted strict voter ID laws since 2013. State legislatures have worked to gerrymand districts, purge voter rolls, and reduce early voting. Today, as we pass H.R. 4, we protect the legacy of the foot soldiers of the voting rights movement, like our wonderful Congressman John Lewis. Ordinary patriotic Americans who achieved extraordinary social change in the name of justice. To invoke the words of a 103-year-old year Amelia Boynton Robinson, who was also bludgeoned on that bridge in 1965, and who was my special guest in 2015 for the State of the Union as we celebrated the, the 50th anniversary of the Selma to Montgomery March. She was often approached by so many people at 103, and they would always say the same thing, we stand on your shoulders, we stand on your shoulders. And she, in her inimitable words, would often say, get off my shoulders. Do your own work, is what she would say. So on this wonderful day, as we pass HR 4, I want to invoke her words and say, Miss Amelia, we're doing our own work. We're passing HR 4. And we're making sure that voter equality is alive and well in America today. This ongoing struggle to redeem the soul of America. We're not there yet. And there are forces in America today trying to take us back to another time and another place. But with the passage of this bill, we're saying we're not going back, we're going forward. The only thing I did or tried to do with a few other people <laughs> is to get the right to vote. We gave a little blood mm -hmm. yes. on that bridge to help redeem the soul of America. Yes. So our struggle is an ongoing struggle. We can never give up. We can never lose hope. We're going to pass it here. Yes. Today, we're going to do it, Madam Speaker. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. <laughs> And we're going to send it to the Senate. Yes. We must do it. The vote is the most powerful, nonviolent instrument or tool we have in a democratic society. And people should be able to use it, all of our citizens. So thank you very much. Joining us now is Maryland, excuse me, is uh, Michigan Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence. Congresswoman, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? 
uh, doing great. First and foremost, uh, let's get right to it. Republicans had an opportunity uh, to do something about this. Uh, it was uh, Congressman Sensenbrenner of Wisconsin uh, who tried to push forward a bill, virtually got no co-sponsors from the Republican side. Uh, the Republicans clearly uh, have used uh, this Supreme Court decision to uh, lead voter suppression, and that's why they did nothing over these years in order to fix this decision by the Supreme Court. You know, so often when people, and it was amazing to watch on the floor, a white man of privilege saying, we don't have a problem. We have the Voting Rights Act. There was nothing to, there was no person found that wanted to vote that couldn't vote. But let's talk about, in the example of Terry Sewell's district, they closed down the registration centers, which is usually the vote, the uh, DMZs. DMT. And they closed them down in all the black neighborhoods. So if you become a voting age and wanted to register to vote, you would have to take a bus or transportation drive out to another community to register to vote. There were people who changed the... I was campaigning last year in South Carolina and it was a historically black university who's had a voting precinct on that campus for over 50 years, and they closed it down. These are things that, you know, they say, oh, they can go to the other uh, precinct. But they're systematic, and they were happening all over the country. And today we're saying we will not tolerate that. And if you do it, there will be consequences because we will have the right to do an evaluation and to come in and to um, uh, examine what you've done and the impact it has on the community. Another thing that so many people, when we're, we're fighting and saying we want voting rights, they go like, oh, please, you can vote if you want to. The number one thing to destroy or to enslave a people is to take away their right to vote. It, it does not go unnoticed that history has shown that we literally had our forefathers die for us to have the right to vote. And they fought us and, and persecuted us and did everything because the fear is that if people in this democracy go to the polls and vote, it literally will create an economy that all people will be able to be treated equally and not this just privilege you. Now, only one Republican had the guts to stand with Democrats. Uh, that is Congressman Brian Fitz of uh, Pennsylvania. That shows you how the Republican Party has changed. Because previously, when the Voting Rights Act was reauthorized uh, in Congress, typically it passed with flying colors by Democrats and Republicans. Well, you know, I'm in an environment now in Congress. And Roland... When this president took office, and even before, his number one agenda is to divide, separate, and create this us-and-them environment. He has, he has solidified now the Republican Party to say that anything that the Democrats want to do, because that's what Mitch McConnell does, any bill that's sent to the Senate, even the bipartisan bills, they are not being—there are over 400 bills sitting in his graveyard. 
And Trump is fine with that. And McConnell said, I will do whatever Trump wants me to do. Because they do not want to bring anything to the death of this president that he would have to sign that shows that he has any compassion or any any sense of wanting to make this country a country that works for everyone. And so when you look at this partisan divide, it's being nurtured and it's being just driven and rewarded by the president of the United States of America. Again, that's Congressman uh, Brian uh, Fitzpatrick. I gave uh, his uh, Twitter handle is at Rep. Brian Fitz. Now, here's the real issue. The question now is, will Senator Mitch McConnell allow this to come to the floor in the Senate? I doubt it very seriously. He's blocked more than 300 bills passed by House Democrats. What message does that send? What, will you, what do you say the message sends to black voters, to young voters, to white voters, but all voters who care about voting rights at the Republican Party likely is not going to allow this bill to move forward? Well, this just goes right on in the uh, bin with all the other bills in uh, violence against women. Uh, we have passed gun violence control laws and sent it to the House. These are things Americans care about. And when it comes to being, um, as Terry Sewell said, Congresswoman Sewell said, the sensitivity that the black community has for the right to vote, I'm sorry, you can think it's over the top. I know for a fact that the right to vote was something that was denied my people, and it didn't come without sacrifice, death, and, and violence and resistance. And so I'm going to fight to keep that, and I'm watching everything that you do. Um, and this is a slippery slope that we stop. So just like those examples I gave you, this was happening all over the country. And so if I can get away with this, the next time I'll do something even more egregious, because at the end of the day, the number of people who vote, I can control who's voting and who's not. All right, Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence of Michigan, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. I want to wish you a happy holidays if I don't talk to you again. So God bless you and, and just keep keep bringing it. I appreciate your voice. I need your voice. Will do. We're not. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Okay. Let's bring in our panel. Okay. Michael Brown, form, former vice chair, DNC Finance Committee, Dr. Niambi Carter, uh, Department of Political Science, Howard University, Julian Boykin, founder, chairman, Young Republicans of Southern Maryland. Junior, Julian, I want to go to you. Dude, what the hell? What, what is wrong with your party? I mean, the reality is, uh, in the past, whenever the Voting Rights Act came up for reauthorization, uh, it was signed into law by a Republican president. Republicans voted for it, but after that Supreme Court decision, Republicans have been hostile to the Voting Rights Act, and one Republican had the guts today to stand with Democrats. Can't defend that. Um, I'm not a, a fan of voter suppression. Um, I think change needs to come. So for me, um, I mean, I'm all about helping people become registered voters and also making sure I get people, many people as possible to the polls, whether it's, you know, transporting them to the polls. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to make excuses for my party. You know, I don't agree with the old guard and some of the things that they've done, some of the decisions that they made before me. 
But as for going forward, I plan on trying to make changes. And one change is the voter suppression. At some point, you have to allow people to express themselves by becoming registered voters and voting. You know, when you, when you implement voter suppression, that means that you're intimidated by people and their right to vote, so you think people are not going to vote the way you want them to. At the end of the day, if you put a message out there and people are either going to agree with your message or they're not going to agree, but I don't believe in voter suppression. You know, when you, when you implement that, that means you're trying to control people, and that's one way to control people is by suppressing their vote. So I encourage people, if you don't think voting is important, this is a wake-up call that, hey, if you're not impressed with where your schools are looking, where the roads are looking, um, not enough jobs in your area, I highly encourage you, get out and vote. It doesn't matter about the party, but make sure you understand the importance of voting. By not voting, you're telling people you don't care. If you're telling someone you don't care, then, you know, you're not, you're not trying to become an asset and trying to fix the problem. You're not, you're, not, you're not trying to find a solution for the problem at all. Dr. Neambi Carter, I want to go to you. Bottom line here, the Republican Party has led voter suppression. It is a part, it is a part of their strategy. This is what their goal is. It is undeniable. And the fact that only one had the guts to vote for the bill today shows you exactly where this party, this national party, Donald Trump, McConnell, McCarthy in the House, Roland McDaniel, the GOP chairwoman, state legislatures all across the country, the Republican Party does not want to support voting rights in this country. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing that barred them in all these years to rewrite uh, that section of the Voting Rights Act, right? All that the Supreme Court said in Shelby County v. Holder was that the formula that was used in 1965 was too old. They could have done something in all these years. The fact that they didn't do anything other than um, pursue voter suppression in various state legislatures around the country tells you they had no intention, right? Because if you don't redraw, rewrite the Section 4 formula, then Section 5 is null and void. And so they don't want preclearance. They actually don't want oversight of the, the election laws um, in those states, states that had a history, a long history, right, of harming people who were uh, considered minorities, not just racial minorities, but language minorities and others. So this matters not just for black people, this matters for indigenous populations, Native Americans who've been having lots of difficulty registering and trying to exercise their right to vote, Latino citizens, Asians, and others. So this is very purposeful. Republicans saw the writing on the wall over 20 years ago. They knew that they were going to be outvoted demographically, and they don't want to lose. So the way they do it is to fix the system. If you can control the institution, then you can extend your longevity. And that's exactly what they've done. And the fact that they've not tried to do anything more proactive in all these years to redraw or rewrite, I'm sorry, the voting rights formula um, in Section 4 tells you everything you need to know about what game they're playing, right? They're going to take away people's constitutional rights so they can extend uh, their ability to win elections um, because the country is moving away from them demographically and in terms of what they feel ideologically. And they know this. And all that they can do now is, is, is rig the system so they can hang on to, to an ideology that really nobody wants. And if they put, each, put themselves up and head-to-head -head competition, they're going to lose. 
Michael Brown, it's, this is simple. This is a party with no guts whatsoever. They're showing their true colors. And I keep saying to black folks, understand what's going on. Donald Trump has now appointed one out of one out of every five federal judges. They are pushing folks through who are hostile to voting rights who are hostile to civil rights. And the bottom line is this here, a vote for Donald Trump and the Republican Party in 2020 is a vote against voting rights. And co-signing with what the professor said, suppression is clearly one issue. But this, this also should be permanent. And until it becomes permanent, we're going to continue to have these skirmishes every decade, decade and a half, every two decades or so. Um, so it has to become permanent. And once it does, and that's where the leadership comes, and we've had two opportunities. We had in the first uh, term of President Clinton when you had a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House. Same with the first uh, term of Obama. You had a Democratic Senate, Democratic House. And everyone always says, oh, well, we'll get to that issue, just like D.C. statehood. Oh, we'll get to that issue. It's not a priority, but it's important to us. And now when things shift and now you have a president like 45, and a party that's following him no matter what he says relative to whether it's suppression, not giving folks a chance to vote, whether it's making sure these federal judges are here, even though the demographics are changing. As you mentioned, you have to make it permanent. Simple as that. Well, bottom lines is here. Uh, we'll see what happens on the Senate. I have absolutely no doubt that Mitch McConnell will not take this bill up. He does not care. That's how he has operated. And so expect the Republicans in the Senate to completely allow this bill to die. That's all you need to know exactly where uh, the Republicans stand today when it comes to voting rights. All right, folks, let's talk about a former Republican who became a Democrat who now wants to run for president, president on the Democratic side. That's former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg. In an interview that aired this morning on CBS... Michael Bloomberg had the audacity, the unmitigated gall, to say this about stop and frisk. Stop and frisk, you recently apologized for that. Some people are suspicious of the timing of your apology. Well, the mark of an intelligent, competent person is when they make a mistake, they have the guts to stand up and say, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. We don't question your belief that you made a mistake. I think the question is the timing that you realize you made the mistake. Well, nobody asked me about it oh. until I started running for president, okay. so come on. Are you saying to people that you realize you had made a mistake before, but you just didn't mention it until now? I think we were overzealous at the time to do it. Um, our intent was to do anything we could to stop uh, the uh, carnage, the murder rate. And what was surprising is when we stopped doing it a little bit. We thought crime would go up. It didn't. It went down. You know, it should have, would have, and could have. I can't help that. Uh, but I, in looking back, made a mistake. I'm sorry. I apologize. Let's go fight the NRA and find other ways to mm -hmm. stop the uh, murders and incarceration. Those are things that I'm committed to do. And uh, the more I do that, the better off everybody is. Uh, sorry, Mike Bloomberg. You are a lying sack of crap. Soled O'Brien actually addressed this issue, folks. And this is what she sent out in a tweet. She tweeted that she asked Bloomberg to take part in a documentary about stop and frisk six years ago. He declined. She also tweeted that in 2014, she asked him directly if he was sorry about stop and frisk. And he said that more black and brown people should have been stopped. Abby Phillips 
who is with CNN, uh, tweeted the following uh, on this very uh, 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 on this very issue. First, I'm bringing it up in a second, but a number of people actually did ask him. There is video, Dr. Carter, of Michael Bloomberg defending Stop and Frisk. To sit there and lie, to say no one asked, is outrageous. Activists asked, journalists asked, many folks asked. Mike Bloomberg goes, oh, come on, no. Mike Bloomberg is trying to replace a liar in the White House. He is lying about Stop and Frisk, and somehow he wants us to just ignore the constant defense that he gave to Stop and Frisk, and he thinks that going to a black church led by Pastor A.R. Bernard in New York and apologizing is somehow going to cause us to forget how he simply defended it. He only apologized because he is trying to run for president. Simple as that. Absolutely. He's doubled down on Stop and Frisk several times. He tried to expand Stop and Frisk. I mean, remember, they also wanted to collect people's biological information at one point in time. So this man was dedicated to this program, and not to mention the carnage and the havoc that it wreaked on black and brown communities who've been caught up for nothing, right? I mean, we've seen what happened uh, with folks who couldn't afford cash bail and how long they were kept in jail and other kinds of things. So Stop and Frisk wasn't just an inconvenience. It was dangerous. It was wrong, and it was unethical. He knew it, and now he He's saying, okay, well, I punched you in the face, but I said sorry now, so let's just get over it. There's been no attempt to repair. There are communities in New York that are still traumatizing. For him to actually sit there and say that all nobody asked me about it, when we absolutely know that there were activists and others in New York who were holding his feet to the fire consistently throughout this period, talking about why stop and frisk was an infringement on folks' civil rights. And for him to sit there and say, oh, well, nobody really asked me about it, he's a liar. He's not worth our time. And I mean, really, what he's trying to do at this point is buy an election, right? This man has 52 Michael, billion personal Mike dollars. Yes, sir. Michael Brown, Michael Bloomberg, I'm sorry, to lie that blatantly disqualifies himself for running. Stop and frisk is one of the biggest issues, biggest blights on his record. It was shameful. It was despicable. It simply did not. Uh, then, then, after the judge uh, ruled it unconstitutional, ruled against it. Bloomberg went out and said that crime was going to go back up and assail those who uh, who were fighting to stop it. And we know, but the facts, crime did not go up. Michael Bloomberg flat out lied to Gail King. And if a person's going to lie like that about this issue, they will lie about something else. Well, I don't think anybody's happier than uh, than Mayor Pete um, because now he he's not in the bottom for black and brown support. <laughs> Uh, and it, it was flat out just a flat out racist policy. We were just talking during uh, during the break about where it started, and you know I know I understand that it was the brainchild of, of Giuliani, but Bloomberg is the one that put it on Front Street, and now De Blasio is putting out numbers showing that crime has actually gone down that you don't need stop and frisk. So it's just a wrong policy. It's a racist policy, and it's too bad that his uh, his apology rang hollow. Um, but look, uh, Julian, I, you, you can't get around it. He lied. Simple as that. And if he had any guts, he would come out and say, you know what? I was mistaken. Uh, what, what I told Gail King. But here's the other deal. I don't even give a damn about that. I don't accept his apology because he is only apologizing now. Only because he's running for president. He did not apologize. He was defending Stop and Frisk as late as January of this year, but all of a sudden, 
after he announces he's running for president, oh, I'm sorry. I've now found the light. Yeah, I think honesty is the best policy when you're running for office and just about anything you support or you have supported in your past, especially if it's controversial, like stop and frisk, it's going to come up. If, you know, I, I feel like he should have just came out and said, hey, it was something I should have supported. It should have never happened. But to try to just, you know, sweep it under the rug, like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, let's move on. Let's, then you, you come with the angle of let's deflect. Let's bring up the NRA. You know, I want to go after the NRA. At, at some point, you know, when it comes time for a debate, this issue is going to come up again, and he's, go and he's going to have to answer to it. And if he has the same response during a debate like he did this time with Ms. Gayle King, it's not going to set well with um, African Americans. You know, I don't think he's going to get far well, with, with, with his debate, but at some point, you're going to have to, you know, address it and just be honest with the people. Yep, stop lying. All right, folks, let's talk about this story here. A former cheerleader for Kennesaw State University who took a knee during the national anthem during a football game has been paid $145,000 in an out-of-court settlement. Uh, Tamia Dean sued KSU's then-president Sam Olins alongside Scott Whitlock and Matt Griffin, who worked for the athletic department at the time. Her public protest with four other cheerleaders took place in 2017. According to Dean's lawsuit, school officials worked to keep her and other cheerleaders off the field during the national anthem for two games after the initial incident. Also named in her lawsuit were Cobb Sheriff Neil Warren and former state rep Earl Earhart, who she says pressured Olins to take action against the cheerleaders. She believes the actions were racially motivated. She dropped her lawsuit after settling with the Georgia Department of Administrative Services. Michael, real simple. This is how this is this is what is so stupid. Those idiots in Georgia cost themselves cost $145,000 of taxpayer money because they did not like the fact that these cheerleaders were actually taking advantage of the First Amendment. It's unfortunate. And this is going to hopefully this will be the deterrent to folks to try to keep people from exercising their First Amendment right. Uh, then make sure that, oh, I don't want to write a check, so if people want to take a knee, let them take a knee, let them exercise their First Amendment right, which if it even shouldn't be about, oh, I have to write a check. It should be just because it's your right to do it. And keep in mind, the message also has to go out. They are not protesting the flag. They're not going against our troops. They're talking about criminal justice. That's all they're d d protesting, and that message has to also be illuminated. I think that message needs to, need to be um, broadcasted more because when you see the message of, hey, look at these black people taking a knee as being disrespectful to the flag, I see that more than the actual truth being spoken. So when Colin Kaepernick... But Julian, that was done on purpose. Julian, Julian, that was done on purpose. I understand, but what I'm saying is the, the, it needs to but, be broadcasted but it, more. But it was done... It needs remember, to be, bro no, it needs to be deal, broadcasted though. more, though. But, but so, Julian, it can't... It, 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 it can't, but here's the deal, though. The narrative was driven by Fox News. The narrative was driven by conservative radio. True. The narrative was driven by individuals like that. And so there were people uh, like me and others who did broadcast it more, but it was, it was by design to purposely lie about the purpose of Colin Kaepernick's protest because that's the real deal. They don't like it when you dare invoke the flag. They want to sit here and play the game, but it was a, the lie was by design. True.
I agree. But I will say this. I mean, this is a college student, right? A set of college students. These are the kinds of things that I actually actively work every day to get my college students to do, right? Which is to know their rights and exercise their rights. These young women, uh, these young men on these college campuses are coming into their own as citizens. And what is the message that universities are sending them about their citizenship, right? Which is the rights that they are granted are actually endangered on a place where they should be the most protected, which is a college campus. So I think this is the kind of stuff that um, universities should definitely be held to task for because as an institution, we are to encourage these young people and help them become educated as citizens, right, about what it is um, in, their, in their right to do, but also what their responsibility is as citizens, right? So, you know, kudos to these young women, um, and I hope Kennesaw State and others do take note because, as Michael said, this can get a very to be a very expensive um, habit if you continue to do this and infringe on students' yep. constitutional rights. All right, folks, going to a break right now. We come back. We'll talk with Alicia Garza about the Black Census Project uh, that's coming up next. Later in the show, I'm also going to deconstruct uh, these ridiculous comments by uh, Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina and Trump's U.N. ambassador, where she talked about the Confederate flag and how Dylan, Dylan Roof hijacked it. This was not about race. It was people believed it was about heritage and hard work and faith. Y'all know I'm going to bring the funk against Nikki Haley. Oh, y'all want to tune in for that. We'll be back in Roller Martin Unfiltered in just a moment. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, the folks at MarijuanaStock.org have already reached more than half of their funding goal for the hemp CBD investment. That's right. If you want to take advantage of this great opportunity, you need to do it now because it won't last much longer. If you don't know, I'm talking about the hemp plant, the good cousin to marijuana with a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Also, if you don't know, hemp farming is now legal in the United States, creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. It's just an opportunity for you to invest in a burgeoning economy, and that's where the folks at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed, high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. As hemp continues to change the economic landscape, 420 Real Estate is allowing you to chase the American dream. What you can do is go to, again, their website, marijuanastock.org, to participate in this crowdfunding campaign. The minimum amount is 200 bucks. You can invest up to $10,000. Of course, the fund is going to be closing soon, so to invest, go to marijuanastock.org. That's marijuanastock.org. Get the game and get in the game now. All right, folks, the Black Futures Labs Black Census Project surveyed more than 30,000 black folks, including transgender and cisgender women and men, gender nonconforming and non-binary people, about their experiences and political and social views. Joining us right now is civil rights activist Alicia Garza, principal at the Black Futures Lab. So exactly, Alicia, first of all, glad to have you back. So what does this survey show? Well, one of the reasons that we took the survey in this way is because we really were concerned with the 
problem of what it's going to take to make black communities powerful in politics. And we took the data from the black census and we looked at it from a number of different lenses. And this lens is looking at the data through the lens of gender and how it is that people's experiences as transgender, gender nonconforming, or cisgender people impact their political perspectives and activities, but also impact the vision that they have for the future. And what we found was a couple of things that I think are very interesting. We talk a lot about the role that black women are playing in politics, and we all know that it's incredible. Um, but what we don't talk so much about is the role that black cisgender men and black transgender people are also playing in politics. What we found was that of course, there are very high levels of participation amongst black women uh, in voting and other kinds of electoral activity. But there's also almost equal, uh, a little bit less than equal participation uh, by black cisgender men. And there is a political engagement that is happening with black transgender people, but they're not actually participating electorally in the same way. Why this matters is because it gives us some insight into what it would mean, right? What would be the implications if black transgender people, for example, who are already incredibly active, whether it means that they're joining organizations, they're participating in protests around having their rights being rolled back or having additional restrictions being placed uh, on their dignity and human rights, what would it mean if we actually invested in the electoral capacities of black transgender communities uh, who you know actually are uh, incredibly under siege right now? Would that change uh, election patterns, right? In places around the country where, of course, we are concerned about uh, the impact of black turnout, right, on the outcomes of elections. We also found that the issues that uh, folks care about are actually relatively similar. However, one of the things that is challenging and concerning is that when we look at each of these groups, black cisgender women, black cisgender men, black transgender people, and black gender nonconforming or non-binary people, uh, what we found is that folk are much less likely to identify uh, problems that are impacting other communities as their own problems. So let me just give an example. Uh, in our census, what we found was that uh, uh, black transgender people are more likely, right, to say that violence against themselves, violence uh, by the police, right, is an incredible issue. But when we talk to black cisgender people about whether uh, they think that violence against black transgender people is a major problem that's impacting black communities, black cisgender people are less likely to say that violence against trans people is an issue that's impacting black communities. Well, this matters, of course, because we know that black communities as a whole are incredibly impacted by violence, whether that be violence at the hands of the police um, or other types of violence that happens in the home, sexual violence as well. And so what are the implications of not seeing violence against other black people as a major issue that is impacting you? Uh, the implications, of course, is that we're less powerful, right? If we were able to come together and make our concerns each other's, uh, that would give us more of a foundation to actually have an impact. We'd be building broader and more stronger coalitions. Uh, and we would also be building more nuanced agendas uh, that 
essentially people would not be able to wiggle out of because we'd be united uh, in different fashions across uh, different relationships. So for us, one of the things that we're arguing in the Black Census Project uh, and in this report, Beyond Kings and Queens, is that there is material interest for various segments of the Black community to come together to be able to win on the issues that we care about. And so what impact do you believe uh, this is going to have when it comes to policies being laid out by these various Democratic candidates? Well, because first of all, of we things... know Republicans ain't talking to black people. <laughs> Actually, Republicans are talking to black people. And this is a concern that we have here is that the space that we leave open by not building these kinds of alliances, by not building these kinds of networks that can help us win, our opposition is actually moving into that space and taking advantage of what we're leaving on the table. So when we see things like black for, Blacks for Trump, uh, when we hear things, right, about, uh, you know, how folks should leave the Democratic Party and, um, you know, either vote for Trump or not vote at all, these are messages that are, are getting into spaces that we're, we're leaving wide open. Um, and so this report is really looking specifically at that. Uh, I can say from our perspective, from the Black Futures Lab, what we are working on is making sure that nobody in Black communities gets left behind. And our hypothesis is that uh, the more that we're able to come together, the more we're able to leverage our power. We're getting ready to launch a program that's called Black to the Ballot, where we are expanding the electorate, the Black electorate, in five states across the country, California, Louisiana, Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. And we are committed to not only registering 10,000 new black voters in those five states, but we're also looking very carefully at the constituencies of black people that we know are not yet politically engaged, but have everything to gain from being politically engaged. And then coupling that, of course, with a black agenda that is helping folks to understand that it's not just about casting your vote. It's about casting your vote in pursuit, right, of an agenda that is going to impact our lives in positive ways. So I think the impact that this can and should have on the 2020 election is that candidates that want to, uh, you know, make sure that communities are turning out and voting, right, that's the only way that we're going to uh, be able to defeat Donald Trump and the, the tide of Trumpism that has swept this country, if turnout is the major concern for the 2020 election, then every single candidate should be paying attention to how to make sure to get black people to turn out from every corner of our community. And that's what our report is arguing. All right. Alicia Garza, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Where can people look at uh, the Black Census Project? Thanks, Roland. All right. Folks, thanks a bunch. Got to go to a break right now. We come back. <laughs> Wait till I play for y'all what Nikki Haley actually said in an interview with Glenn Beck about the Confederate flag and Dylan Roof. Yeah, I'm about to straight up just go ahead and go to break. I'll be back and roll my unfiltered. Changing the mind is very difficult on how way people act and how they grow up. But if you get somebody that makes it inspiring and you can motivate them and you can educate them, that's where you change the dynamics for the future of our children. I'm George Morales. 
I'm the constable of Precinct 4 here in Travis County. I'm raised in Southeast Austin, by the community called Dove Springs. In the um, late 80s, early 90s, it was, uh, it was really hard in our community in Dove Springs. We had a lot of uh, gangs uh, and drugs that were being sold in our communities. You know, I came up in law enforcement, seeing uh, a lot of constables put themselves in the forefront. It's a community-based office. You know, you want to be out there amongst your community and show them the better side of law enforcement. Show them that, you know, hard work does pay off. I mean, that's constable work to me. As the president of the Dust Springs Advisory Board, um, our goal is helping the rec center grow, implement programs. We do events from Easter, which we have about 2,000 kids. The back to school bash, we did about 3,500 backpacks. I think a lot of kids may see him as a hero. Uh, because he gives back to the kids. It's like he's always talking to kids. He's always around youth. He knows that it's the next generation that's gonna take over. I don't do this by myself. I was taught by my union that if we work together, things happen. If we speak up, things happen. Union is strength in numbers. And I bring those numbers from the Dustman's community, from the Precinct 4 community. And that's the union pride that I have. All right, all right, folks, so Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina and Trump's U.N. ambassador, sat down for an interview with uh, Glenn Beck on his network, The Blaze. And what came up in that interview was the issue of the Confederate flag coming down in South Carolina. Hmm. Here's what she actually said. South Carolina fell to her knees when this happened. This is one of the oldest African-American churches. These 12 people were amazing people. They loved their church. They loved their family. They loved their community. And here is this guy that comes out with his manifesto holding the Confederate flag and had just hijacked everything that people thought of. And we don't have hateful people in South Carolina. There's always the small minority that's always going to be there. But, you know, people saw it as service and sacrifice and heritage. And but once he did that, there, there was no way to overcome it. And the national media came in in droves. They wanted to define what happened. They wanted to make this about racism. They wanted to make it about gun control. They wanted to make it about mm -hmm. death penalty. And I really pushed off the national media and said there will be a time and place where we talk about this, but it is not now. We're going to get through the funerals. We're going to respect them. And then we will have that conversation. And we had a really tough few weeks of debate, but we didn't have riots. We had vigils. We didn't mm -hmm. have protests. We had hugs. And the people of South Carolina stepped up and showed the world what it looks like to to show grace and strength in the eyes of tragedy. So all of these conservatives are now defending Nikki Haley, saying that uh, media matters got this thing wrong, that, that she wasn't praising the flag herself, and that uh, this is what happens. I mean, so, uh, in fact, Nikki Haley, uh, she tweeted three hours ago, 2015 was a painful time for our state. The pain was and is still real. Below was my call for the removal of the Confederate flag, and I stand by it. I continue to be proud of the people of South Carolina and how we turn the hate of a killer into the love for each other. It was a story that she retweeted from the New York Times. Folks, do y'all have a portion of Nikki Haley's speech in 2015 where she talked about it? If so, can y'all go ahead and play it? For many people in our state, the flag stands for traditions that are noble. 
traditions of history, of heritage, and of ancestry. The hate-filled murderer who massacred our brothers and sisters in Charleston has a sick and twisted view of the flag. In no way does he reflect the people in our state who respect and in many ways revere it. Those South Carolinians view the flag as a symbol of respect, integrity, and duty. They also see it as a memorial, a way to honor ancestors who came to the service of their state during time of conflict. That is not hate, nor is it racism. So Nikki Haley stood there in 2015 and said, that is not hate, that is racism. Really? Why did South Carolina secede from the Union? No, seriously. Nikki, see, the, see, this, see, this is the real issue that we're healing, dealing here, and that's why, folks, I'm going to do this deconstruction. Because I need you to understand what is going on here. Nikki Haley is a willing participant in the redefining of the Confederate flag and what it means. You heard her say there, oh, uh, many people, she didn't say some. In fact, let, 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 me, let me break this down. In the Glenn Beck interview, she talked about how a small portion of people in South Carolina are racist. In 2015, she said, many people revere the flag out of respect because it was about honor. Did y'all hear that? Many revere the flag, respect and honor, oh, but a small portion is defined by race. Here's the problem with that. That doesn't actually line up with history. South Carolina seceded from the Union because of slavery. All you have to do, she talked about, see, this is what happens when folk like Nikki Haley don't like the fact that we can break down what she says. All of her people are running to her aid. Uh, people should be going after all these journalists who misinterpreted what she said. No, not one time did Nikki Haley say, there are people in my state who revere the flag because they see it as honor and respect, but they are wrong. Not one time did she say that. In fact, she has defended that. Folks, South Carolina, in their manifesto, in the manifesto that they wrote, made it perfectly clear that they were seceding from the state, from the Union, because of slavery. Now, here's what Nikki Haley also never said, and what her supporters will not say, is this. General Lee, the person who they revere in these statues and monuments, told his troops to furl the rebel flag and store it in your attics. What Nikki Haley will not say is that for more than two generations after the Civil War, for the most part, the Confederate flag was not seen in America. Now, there are images of a black man being lynched, made to force, uh, made, uh, forced to kiss a Confederate flag before he was lynched in 1920. Some of the historians on Twitter have been discussing that today. But it wasn't until 1948 when the Confederate flag came out 
as a national symbol. You might ask, well, Roland, what happened in 1948? In 1948, there was a meeting in Mississippi where the Southern Manifesto was created. Uh-oh. Nikki Haley referenced a, Southern, a manifesto written by Dylan Roof that was racist. Yet it was a Southern Manifesto written in 1948 because the National Democratic Party had dared to include civil rights in their plank. Now, let, let me unpack this. Republicans, yes, it is factually correct that the Republican Party historically, from Lincoln up until that period, were in support of civil rights. But there was a Republican governor, excuse me, President Herbert Hoover, who aligned with called the Lily White Movement, who partnered with Southern Dixiecrats and the KKK to oppose black people. Those are historical facts. If you want to go research it, knock yourself out, but I got receipts. So in 1948, a Southern Manifesto is written. Who was the leader of that 1948 convention in Mississippi where the Southern Manifesto was written? South Carolina Senator Strom Thurmond. Who was the man who set the record for filibustering a bill when he filibustered for more than 24 hours of the 1957 Civil Rights Act? South Carolina Senator Strom Thurmond. Now, Nikki Haley talked about it, how people saw, saw it in terms sort of reverence. Do you know that South Carolina raised that flag over its state capitol in 1961 in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the Civil War? Uh-oh, but that's not what they called it. Do you know what they called it? They didn't call it the 100th anniversary of the Civil War. In fact, they purposely, they purposely uh, called it, because first of all, President Eisenhower uh, commissioned a national Civil War centennial, okay? I'm reading a quote, and this is from a gentleman named Daniel Hollis of South Carolina. Daniel Hollis was appointed to the state commission that was created, y'all gonna love this one, for the observers of the 100th anniversary of the war between the states. That's what they called it. Daniel Hollis, PhD in American history from Columbia University, taught for 36 years at the University of South Carolina in their history department. His specialty, Southern history and the Civil War. Daniel Hollis said this in this piece that was written several years ago. I'm the only one on the commission left alive. I tried to get them to call it the Civil War Centennial, but they insisted on calling it the Confederate War Centennial. Quote, I was the only Civil War historian. There were three UDC girls on it, and John May was a chairman. May was a state representative from Aiken. He called himself Mr. Confederacy and wore a Confederate uniform to our meetings. I called May an inveterate Confederate. 
They would argue that the war wasn't fought over slavery but states' rights. That's ridiculous. Without the slavery issue, South Carolina would not have seceded. You think they would have gotten angry enough about tariffs to start shooting? Quote, the ruling elite that ran this state all owned slaves. They denied the war was over slavery, insisting that it was over states' rights. But it was over the states' rights to own slaves and enforce white supremacy. That's the reason the South Carolina flag was raised in 1961 to celebrate this, and it remained there. So Nikki Haley says that there are people who see this as a symbol of honor and respect and heritage. Why doesn't Nikki Haley have the guts to tell those people they were wrong? Because she wanted their votes, and she still wants their votes. That's what the real deal here is. Now, let me also explain a few things that she broke down to Glenn Beck. Could y'all go ahead and cue that up? And when I tell you to stop it, please stop it. So once it's ready, hit play. South Carolina fell to her knees when this happened. This is one of the oldest African-American churches. These 12 people were amazing people. They loved their church. They loved their family. They loved their community. And here is this guy that comes out with his manifesto holding the Confederate flag and had just hijacked everything that people thought of. And we don't have hateful people in South Carolina. There's always the small minority that's always going to be there. Stop. She said Dylan Roof just hijacked it. Folks, would y'all like to see, would y'all like to see photos of white folks waving the Confederate flag against folks in the civil rights movement? Would y'all like to see people in South Carolina doing that? Do, do y'all know that the, the, the governor of South Carolina said he was not going to allow black folks to go to state universities? Do you know that South Carolina said that they would shut down the entire education system in that state after Brown versus Board of Education? Do you know what the folks were doing? Waving the Confederate flag. There is a direct correlation between white hate and the Confederate flag. Those two have gone together. White folks in South Carolina and Alabama in Mississippi, when they were protesting civil rights and protesting black folks demanding their human rights, they were not waving the American flag. They were waving the Confederate flag. So ask yourself this question. What made Dylan Roof write a manifesto, a white supremacist manifesto, and embrace the Confederate flag? It's because that's what white supremacists have been doing for the last 100 years. Surely Nikki Haley has actually read a book. Surely Nikki Haley has done that. But guess what? Her own son told her. Abby Phillips, a correspondent for CNN, tweeted this today. Quote, when I talked to Haley in 2015, she was fully aware that many people in South Carolina associated the flag with hate long before Dylan Roof. She even told me that her son had raised the issue to her before. So I don't understand why she wouldn't even bother to mention that in this interview. Press play. There, but you know, people saw it as service and sacrifice and heritage. And but once he did that, there was there was no way to overcome it. And the national media came in 
in droves. They wanted to define what happened. They wanted to make this about racism. They wanted to make it about gun control. They wanted to make it about mm-hmm. death penalty. Stop and right I really put. Stop right there. The national media wanted to make this about race. No. The national media didn't want to make it about race, Nikki Haley. Dylan Roof made it about race when he purposely walked into a black church at a Bible study after folks had prayed for him and with him and pulled a gun out and killed nine black people. He pointed a gun at one of the black survivors and allowed her to leave so she could tell everybody what happened. Everybody also, national media did not make the Confederate flag about hate. White folks did more than 100 years. So don't play this game that, oh, it was the media who came in and made this all about race. Press play. Off the national media and said there will be a time and place where we talk about this, but it is not now. We're going to get through the funerals. We're going to respect them. And then we will have that conversation. And we had a really tough few weeks of debate, but we didn't have riots. We had vigils. We didn't mm-hmm. have protests. We had hugs. And the people of South Carolina stepped up and showed the world. Stop right there. First of all, Nikki Haley, who the hell you think you fooling? She said, oh, we didn't have riots. We didn't have protests. We had hugs. I recall Bree Newsom climbing that state capitol and bringing that damn flag down. That was a protest. Nikki Haley also lied because what she did not say to Glenn Beck that the NAACP has long had a, a protest against the state of South Carolina, uh, not allowing uh, events to be held there. Oh, did y'all also know why the NCAA did not hold any of its tournaments in South Carolina? Because of the NAACP's protests, because that flag was flying above the state capitol. Nikki Haley lied. There had been years of protest against that flag in South Carolina. There had been years of people standing up against that flag. So to say that, oh, in the aftermath of this, oh, we had some difficult conversations and there were no protests, that were hugs. No, Nikki, that's a lie. What Nikki Haley wants is somehow credit for bringing the flag down. I'm not giving you credit. The credit for the flag, Confederate flag coming down in South Carolina goes to the nine black people who spilled their blood in order for that to happen. Just like I give credit to Medgar Evers and his blood being spilled and the four girls in Birmingham for us getting the 64 Civil Rights Act and for Jimmy Lee Jackson having to shed his blood for the 65 Civil Rights Act and all the black folks across the country who shed blood, who were killed in race riots across America, that's what resulted in the 1968 Fair Housing Act. In fact, the Fair Housing Act had been debated and uh, blocked And it was uh, filibustered by Republicans for more than two years. And Dr. King was killed on April 4th, 1968 in Memphis. And the next day, President Lyndon Baines Johnson sent a letter to the House saying the way to honor Dr. King's death is to pass the very bill that he died fighting for. And that was the Fair Housing Act. And that bill was signed into law just nine days later. So Nikki, explain to me this here. Black people died for the Civil Rights Act. Black folks died for the Voting Rights Act. 
Black folks died for the Fair Housing Act. Black folks had to be killed for you to have the courage to remove the Confederate flag, and you somehow want some sympathy by tweeting and having your Republican cohorts say that the media is wrong because we are harming you because of what you actually said to Glenn Beck about the Confederate flag. Nikki Haley, you're lying. And as an Indian American woman, you should understand racism when it came to Indian and Pakistan and their issues over the years. As an Indian American woman who we know can read, how do you deny the reality of real history? No, Nikki Haley, you are a political opportunist. You wanted the votes of those white races in South Carolina. You wanted the votes of those people so they could support you, and that's why you supported the Confederate flag, and that's why you bought into the notion that the Confederate flag is all about honor and sacrifice. So now don't try to have your people tweet, no, Nikki wasn't saying that's how she felt. She said that's how they felt. No, you defended that flag for years. And it only came down because nine black people were killed by a racist Dylan Roof in a black church. You cannot attempt explain your way out of this. And what you said in that interview with Glenn Beck is a lie. You lied on the media. You lied about this whole issue with the flag. You lied about the protest. Because we got receipts. And you can sit here and try all day to back it up, but you are flat out wrong. And this is why we will always call you out. And Dr. Carter, I don't know who these people think they are, but there's a reason they didn't want slaves to learn how to read. And the reason they didn't want black folks to learn how to read, because we knew that once we began to read, we could see what the truth is. And that's what the deal here. Nikki Haley ain't fooling none of us we know the real history of that Confederate flag. The but, real reason why that flag came back into American society. The real reason why that flag was raised. Mm -hmm. The real reason why it stayed up. And the real reason why it came down. It was because nine black people got killed by a racist. Mm -hmm. And yes, folks like Nikki Haley could no longer defend that flag mm -hmm. because Dylan Roof used it for the same purpose white folks did after, uh, since 1948 to combat black people. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was totally insincere. And, I mean, this line about sort of reclaiming this as some noble event, I mean, let's be clear, that flag didn't come down until Bree Newsom went up on that pole, right? Um, Nikki Haley had no intention of doing anything about that Confederate flag. None of these places did about these memorials and all these things that, again, crop up, as you rightly point out, in this post-war period where people are trying to reclaim this in an effort to intimidate black folks. I mean, we know what that flag means. Um, anybody who's ever said this is just a symbol of our pride, where are black people not Southerners? Do black people not have pride? It is a symbol of treason, more importantly. It is also a symbol of hate. It is a symbol of attempts to deny me of my humanity and my ancestors of their humanity. Um, and it is a flag uh, that was that that has no redeeming value. But we can invest it with all these good qualities if we want to. There's a reason why 
Confederates like uh, Dylan Roof, like other sort of hate groups, um, and these white supremacist organizations all use that flag because they know what it symbolizes. And for Nikki Haley to sit here and try to do all this backpedaling and, and, and rescue this flag from the death that it should have died a hundred plus years ago um, is, is gross, is disgusting, is insincere, and is intellectually dishonest, and she knows it. Uh, Michael, again, if you see her, she's on Twitter and you got the Republicans, she's like, thank you for coming to my defense. And they took my words out of context. She's saying that, no, I didn't say, uh, she's trying to suggest that, no, I didn't say it represented service, sacrifice, and heritage. Others said that. But yeah, but she's been defending it. She supported it. She ain't fooling nobody. And you touched on it. It's all about presidential politics five years from now. She wants to run for president. Um, and she thinks that the Republican Party has now turned into 45's party. And she knows if she steps up too hard against that base of support, that they may not be there for her. I'm assuming she's going to run against uh, Mike Pence, unless he's already president by then. Um, but so we'll have to just wait and see what happens. But it's all about presidential politics. She understands what she's doing. You've dissected it perfectly. And now we'll just have to wait and see what happens in a few years. Julian, look, we, we know what this is. And, and Julian, here's what I find to be interesting. Republicans love to talk about we're the party of Lincoln. And then you have like folks like Dinesh D'Souza saying it was those Democrats who were the racist. It was those Democrats who created the KKK. Don't you find it interesting that Republicans love to say that? But which party is the one today defending Confederate statues? Which party is the one today defending Confederate flag? Republican Party. Your party. What do you make of this Nikki Haley nonsense? It's nonsense. Um, this is part of the old guard. And at some point, you know, we have to realize if you want to see change, you got to step up. You know, I don't support the, the current system that the old guard has in place right now. And that that particularly pertains to the, the current issues we have now are not being fixed based upon the old guard that's in place trying to fix them. You can't, you can't use what, what was done in the, in the 50s and 60s and think that's going to fix our current issues of today. And the problem with that is we still have this racial tension and racial divide. I'm from Mississippi, born and raised, so I understand the Confederate flag completely. I've never looked at the Confederate flag and say, hey, this is a symbol of heritage. Not my heritage. I don't, I don't look at that as, as a symbol of heritage. I just look at it for what it is. You know, it, 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 symbolizes, it symbolizes racism towards my people. It symbolizes hate. So at some point, you have to address the issues, and if they're not going to tell the truth, we need to tell the truth. And, you know, I encourage all people course, of color to course. sit back and not, not sit back and just say, well, we're going to wait for the next person to step up and say what we've been saying. Step up yourself. If it is the end, it must begin with me. It must begin with you. You know, we can't sit back and wait for somebody to voice our opinions or voice our concerns. If we're tired of what we're seeing, if we're tired of this Confederate flag being waved around, step up and do something. Don't just sit back and bring something up to, vo to be voted on. Get off your ass and go run for office. That's how you implement change. Make sure you're a registered voter. If you don't understand the importance of voting, go to a central committee meeting, whether it be Democrat or Republican, but understand why our ancestors died for our right to vote. Understand that voting changes but the deal, things. But, but, but Julian, 
But Julian, the reality is here. Nikki Haley is knows exactly who she's talking to, and game recognized game. And so that's why we broke this thing down. And she can try to sit here and dance around it and try to call out the media. But we heard exactly what she had to say to Glenn Beck. We heard what she said in 2015. We heard what she said before that. And she defended that flag. Defended it. And it took nine black folks dying for it to come down and should not have taken black folks having to be killed for it to come down. All right, folks, y'all know what time it is. Crazy white. <laughs> Crazy white. I'm white. I got you, huh? Yeah, um, illegally selling water with our permit on my property. Whoa! Hey! Hey, number. Give me Okay, black man trying to do his job, delivering some packages. He works for UPS, and this crazy-ass white woman had to roll up on him. Give me somebody's information to check up on you, because I don't understand why you're walking around this neighborhood this is crazy. with a bunch of packages. This is what I be talking about. Dolly. These folks be bothering me like... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not bothering you. So, I want to complain to UPS that you're looking very suspicious and making me nervous. What? I live in this home. I'm making you nervous? Yes, yes absolutely. Because This I don't, is crazy. You absolutely are making this, me nervous. This is crazy. Because, no, let me tell you why. You know yeah, why? tell me why. My car has already been broken into twice. Yeah. And guess what? Yeah. It's a really big thing in this neighborhood for people to walk down the street for vandalism. Yeah. So, but I, 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 I don't even live over here, lady. I'm not giving you shit. I need you to give me your name. I'm not man. giving you shit. Then we're going to stand here for a while, aren't we? Man, stay in my ass. Then I'll face. be following you until I get Damn, you. Damn, this lady is crazy, yo. Like I said, you look very suspicious. I'm trying to tell you. Man, get you need to at least be able to like, tell people who you work for. Man, I have the I have jacket on. She's smoking crack. And we'll talk to the driver's route. What? The what? I need to talk to them about. Lady, you smoking good crack. Well, you might need to be. What the fuck? If you don't think you look suspicious... You're, you, you are on crack as well, my son. Wow, that's crazy. This lady is taking pictures of me and recording me like, she is already tripping. Like, I work for UPS. This shit crazy, man. See how these folks do me out here, y'all. That shit crazy. This lady is crazy. Wow. That's crazy. Let me know that, and he was just being a jerk. Call the police. Damn, Michael. And it took the white UPS driver to vouch for the brother. <laughs> That's crazy. And one thing, they didn't take your tip. They didn't turn their phone sideways. You know, you gotta have the phone sideways. I know, man. I know. They keep killing me with that. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, what, what are you gonna say? It's just um, Julie and I were just talking, and the professor. We're wondering if no excuse. But we're wondering if she was a little bit on the sauce and a little drunk and because the way she was smiling, her body language. Again, no excuse for how she acted. But she's... Uh, remember you like to check to see if people lose their jobs when they do stupid stuff like this? Have you checked? 
Uh, still waiting to find out. And, yeah. and Dr. Carr, that's the real deal here. And, and I know there are people out there who are saying, man, you shouldn't show these things as triggering for black people. No, no, no. We, we, I, the reason we keep showing these because I want people to understand these are not one-offs. Right. This is not, oh, well, that one thing. No. What, what this is in this age of Trump, this is a consistent harassment of black people. That people can't say, oh, that stuff was so far back during the Jim Crow days and slavery. No, this is 2019. Yes. Well, I mean, look, what it basically says is there's nothing you can do and there's nowhere you can go if you are black. You can't be in your house, right, because we've seen police come in people's houses and, and, and shoot at, harass, and arrest. You can't be in your car, right? You can't uh, sell water on the street. Right? You can't ride the train. There's basically no way you can go as a black person unmolested by some white person if they feel bothered, right? And if they wanted to, and I'm sure she probably would have, treated the police as her own personal bouncers and removed this man from her street for doing his job, right? Because she felt threatened, which is always, I think, the curious thing that comes up is they always feel threatened, yet they want to come confront somebody. If you feel threatened, you don't go up to the person that you actually think is doing some mischief or might cause you some harm, yet they always seem to end up in somebody's face and on somebody's camera and now broadcast around the world, right? But this is what white supremacy does, right? This is what white racism does. It blinds people um, to, 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 to facts, right? <coughs> but not only blinds it, it be, tries to become their cover for doing what they wanted to do anyway, which is simply harass this man and ask him questions that she had no right to ask him, and he told her exactly what she needed to hear, which is, I'm not giving you anything, and you can get out my face. That's what she's really mad about, actually. Julian, Bob Lott, Julian, uh, Dr. Carter's point, black folks, we can't barbecue, we can't sell lemonade, we can't park our car, we can't deliver packages, uh, we can't leave our own buildings, because you got these racist white folks out here who believe that they have the absolute right to check our papers. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I hope and pray it doesn't go left, but I think... It's going to take it's going to take the right white person to run up on the wrong black person and they're going to get their ass whooped and it's going to be on camera and it's going to go viral and send a message out. Like right now everybody's put on notice. Keep doing it. We we showing we we putting you on blast. We calling you out. At some point in time the right the the the, the right people going going to meet the wrong people and it's going to go bad for somebody. And it's going to get to a point where uh, black people are, st are going to get tired of being harassed for doing simple things like taking our trash out, doing simple stuff like our job. This man is delivering packages. He's not peeping in nobody's window. He is actually trying to do his job, what he's paid to do, but he can't do it because he's being harassed for the, for, for the simple fact of the color of his skin. Yep. And it shouldn't have took a, a, a Caucasian gentleman, his co-worker, to come up for her to say, oh, you work for UPS, my bad. That's all you had to say. I didn't know that. The truck wasn't a tip-off. Right. The, the, the truck wasn't a tip-off. The truck wasn't a tip-off. The uniform, tip -off. the, the ID, the packages. Context and, clues, You know, people. give me the packages, and I'll, I'm like, no. I, like I was telling them, I'm like, maybe she had drunk some wine and ran out, and... <laughs> You know, maybe she got mad because she couldn't, she didn't want to leave the house and go get wine and was like, okay, let me go harass nope. this person. No. Nope. I don't know what it is. It's just crazy. And it needs to stop. No. Nope. It needs to stop. No. Nope. I know what it is. I know what it is. I know what it is. He was black, she's white, and she felt she had she had superiority over him. You End know of what? Story. We, you know right, what? Folks, we should, we should flip the script. Gonna, we should we should flip the script. Instead of white people harassing blacks, 
why don't we start harass, harassing whites just so they can see how it feels and just walk up on say, hey, what are you That's doing? That's how we get killed. It, oh, <laughs> exactly. Oh, Hell, you know damn well when the cops roll up, we gonna be the first one to get shot. Mm -hmm. Especially doing the stuff. That we she know that doing. deal. Oh yeah. Yep. All right, folks. I want to thank y'all for joining us. Uh, and hey, folks. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna be giving the commencement address. Tennessee State University. And so, thank Dr. Glenda Glover for inviting me. Uh, so, that's going to be around 8 a.m. And so, uh, they should be live streaming it. And so, I will tweet that out for y'all to check out. Now, tomorrow night, so, so I'm in Nashville now, speaking in Tennessee State in the morning. Then, as Tom Jordan said, I'm flyjocking. I'll be heading to St. Louis. So, tomorrow night, to the brothers of Alpha Phi Alpha, Epsilon, Lambda Chapter. Don't hate Michael and Julian. They, rep they got their 100th anniversary celebration. I'll be giving the keynote. Uh, I know y'all are two Omegas. I know. You, 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 couldn't, you couldn't wear this. But it's trust, all trust me. I, I wouldn't wear that. I wouldn't want to wear that. Next time I see you in the studio, it's I'll make good. sure I'll give but, you a but, gift. I have a nice Founders Day gift the, for you. But the one thing I do know y'all Omegas did, you took one of our colors because you couldn't be original. <laughs> That's right. So I got to go. All right, folks. So again, Tennessee State, we're going to light that thing up tomorrow graduation. Uh, let's get rid of have some fun to the Alphas. I'll see you guys tomorrow night in St. Louis. I want to thank everybody who watches this show. Uh, and let me tell you something. I, I, I love, you know what I love? I got to go ahead and end it this way. I, I love all of these haters who for the last year, all these so-called new black media people uh, who trashed us saying this wasn't gonna be successful. Uh, here's what I find to be real interesting. After one year, we did 100.7 million views, 345 million minutes watched, uh, five, nearly 500,000 plays on our podcast. But here's the one that's really cracking me up, y'all. Just so y'all understand, when we launched this show, we had around 130,000 subscribers to our YouTube channel, okay? That's who was subscribing to this show. Let me just check right now. So this is this, this for all you haters, okay? All you fake new black media people out there. Uh, and yeah, I'm talking to you. Uh, y'all know who I'm talking to. Because uh, see, I, don't even, I ain't gonna give you a name because you ain't worth nothing. Today, we got 409,000 subscribers. So in 14 months, y'all, and this is for the folks who can't do math, in 14 months, uh, we have increased our YouTube channel subscribers by 279,000. Hell, we've added more new subscribers than they have total. That's what happens when black people understand who really understands media, who really is speaking to our issues, and who aren't frauds. So y'all can run around with your little boy Isaiah Washington. Yeah, Isaiah, I read your little punk ass tweet. That's why I called you out, and you afraid to debate me as well, because now you now you run around. And I know, uh, uh, Julian, you gotta be laughing when all of a sudden Isaiah like, oh, now all of a sudden he a Republican. Man, we'll sit down, boy. I know real black Republicans. But the point, but the point I'm saying is, folks, y'all know the real deal. Y'all know the issues we cover. Y'all know the panelists that we have and the guests that we have. There's nobody else doing a five-day-a-week show that speaks to our issues. Nobody. Nobody else who's doing it. Okay? So they can run their miles in one or two days, but we are committed to black people, committed to our issues, and committed to raising the consciousness of our folks. So let me tell you right now, all y'all want to be talking y'all new black media, and I want y'all to clip this and share it, because when y'all share it with your followers, all you doing is getting me more followers, because I don't share nothing y'all send out. I dare y'all to do what we do. 
I dare you to put the voices that we have on. I dare you to put the members of Congress on. I dare you to have folks like Alicia Garza on your show. I dare you to have a black economist and black generals and black political scientists and black uh, studies leaders and black Republicans and black conservatives and black liberals and black progressives. I dare you to try this five days a week. You think you knew? Like Uncle Charlie Wilson saying, sons, I'm new school and old school. That's when you know you got credibility. Y'all want to join our Bring the Funk fan club? Please go to RollerMarkUnfiltered.com. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support this show to make it possible. You can give via PayPal, Square, uh, uh, as well as Cash App. This is all about speaking our interests. Uh, and so right now, we always end the show every Friday showing you all of the people who have joined our Bring the Funk fan club. If you don't see your name on here, all you got to do, all you got to do is send us an email. We'll have your name added. Uh, hit the like button here uh, on our YouTube channel. Follow us because y'all, we got some stuff for 2020 that's going to blow this thing off. And like I said, we understand the power of black media because the first black newspaper, Freedom Journal, said we wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us. And that's what we're doing in 2019. I got to go. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs. With flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.